Take your Bible. Turn with me to Psalm 119, 105. I'm going to do something I never do. I'm going to take a scripture and launch from it into a purview, a panoramic view of what the Bible says about the Bible. And the title of the sermon is A Man and His Bible. Look at Psalm 119. By the way, it's right in the middle of the Bible. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's all about the Bible. <laughs> That's a lot of Bible right there, okay? Psalm 119, 105, you probably learned this when you were a child, if you grew up in a Baptist church, and it says this, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Would you read that with me? Read it off the screen. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I want to say this to you, whether you're a man or a woman, whoever you are, you need, a young person, you need to live in the Bible and let the Bible come alive in you. If you don't understand the Bible, uh, something's going on. Because if you're saved, the Holy Spirit is inside of your physical body. And he is the one who inspired godly men to write this. So the Holy Spirit in you should bear witness with the Holy Spirit in this book. And if you don't understand any of it, it just really means you're probably not saved. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not saying if you don't, if there's a few things in there you don't understand. But if you don't understand anything, man, at the end of this service, give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you are saved, you need to live in the Bible. Now, you might be looking at your outline and say, how in the world are we going to get out of here before 2.30? Look at all these blanks. I have never seen so many blanks in my life. Well, the good thing is they're not blank up here, all right? I know what goes in them, and we're going to get going, and we're going to do it right now. Let's talk real quick about how we got the Bible, and that is a process called canonization. You don't have to spell that to get into heaven, uh, but it's canonization. Now, what in the world does the canon mean? When they put together the whole Bible, the Old New Testament, it was a canon of Scripture. The word canon refers to a measuring rod, and that was saying we were measuring these books against some of the other books that didn't make it in. How did we get the Bible? Well, at first it was all oral, and then they started writing some of it down, and uh, then, you know, it was inspired. You say, how do you know that? We believe that the Bible is inspired. We don't believe that the Koran is inspired. We don't believe that the Book of Mormon is God-inspired. We don't believe that the Apocrypha, that the Roman Catholics believe those extra 15 books should be attached to the regular Bible of the Old Testament. We believe there are 66 books. We believe there are 27 in the New Testament, 39 in the Old Testament. And uh, so let's talk a little bit about canonicity and the early church, how they, they measured, how they took that uh, canonicity, that measuring rod, and they saw the process go through about which ones would be brought in in the church councils and which ones would not. They did not determine which books were inspired. They simply recognized the ones that God had inspired above the others. The collection of all these books that we have in the Bible were recognized by the early church as completely authoritative scriptures not to be added to, not to be taken away from. Let me just give you, and this is not in your notes, but you might want to write this down if you want to, and some of the tests of canonicity how did they test the books that were out there? There are a lot of books floating around, the early church councils. And what you have is uh, when Jesus uh, rises from the dead and he ascends to heaven and the Holy Spirit comes back, 
then all of a sudden you had these gospels circulating. You had letters from Paul and Peter and some of the other apostles. And you had all these books circulating. You'd already had the canonization of the Old Testament. Those 39 books were canonized back in 400, around the time of Ezra in 400 B.C. But now we're getting into like A.D. 50 through 100. That's when all the, the, the books in the New Testament were put in the canon of Scripture. And here's some of the tests of canonicity. Number one, it was authoritative. When, when you read these books, there was something about these letters or these gospels or these books that we put them into the canon of Scripture that was saying, thus saith the Lord. It was, it was obvious that this was not just from man. And then it was prophetic. In the Old Testament, it came from a spiritual leader like an Old Testament prophet, a king, a judge, a scribe. In the New Testament, it always had to come from an apostle, somebody that Jesus said was an apostle or called as an apostle, and Paul was later on called to be an apostle, as were the others. It was also authentic. It was uh, consistent with the revelation of all the truth of God that we have. It was dynamic. It demonstrated. It changed people's lives. People would read the Bible, and their lives would be changed, and they knew that that, that, that needed to be in Scripture if it was changing people's lives. And it was received. There was this uni universal acceptance of these Scriptures. That's how we got those Scriptures, and you can read more about that sometime. I'm having to go quickly because I'm just giving a little overview here. I could talk all day about, not all day, but a long time about this. You said, we don't worry about that. We know that. But anyway, uh, uh, I, I could talk a lot about this, but simply to say that the Old Testament was solidified by the year 400. And then in the, the first two or three centuries, the per church started being persecuted. And so they had to decide what are the books that are floating around, the gospels that are floating around, the letters of the apostles that are floating around that we would die for. We would say, you know what? You can kill us if you want to, but we are going to hold on to these scriptures even if it means death. And they were Greek manuscripts in the New Testament and uh, they were Aramaic and they were Hebrew in the Old. And they said, this is the Bible. We'll die for this. And you know what? They started, they came down to four gospels. They came down to the writings of Paul, the writings of Peter, the writings of James, the writing of Jude, the writings of John, uh, aside from the gospel of John. And they came up with the New Testament. And all of those books were written not long after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. Between 50, A.D. 50 and A.D. 100, all the books of the New Testament were written. Again, the church did not make the canon of Scripture. They just officially recognized the canon of Scripture. That's all I can say about canonization, and you can look up more about that in other books if you'd like to. Let's talk about inspiration now, not just canonization, but inspiration, the inspiration of the Bible. What does it mean when you say the Bible is God-breathed? What does it mean that God breathed Scripture into existence? What is inspiration? Let me tell you what it is not. A lot of times to figure out what something is, you have to figure out, first of all, what it's not. It is not mechanical inspiration. God did not dictate these words. He impressed them upon their hearts. They were perfect when they came out. But it's not like God said, okay, you just be there, you just be a, a dummy, and I'm going to speak through you and you're just a microphone. That's not how it worked. God did not do that. You see their personalities. When Paul's writing, you'll understand that his personality is there, but all of the things that he wrote that were in the canon of Scripture, they're all inspired by God. But he didn't, God didn't dictate it to him, OK? 
okay? And it's not dynamic inspiration. Some people say, well, it's just the ideas that are inspired, but not the words. You know, I don't want to say goofy, but that's just plain goofy, all right? I mean, how can you have ideas without words? What are you even talking about? And so, yes, it's not just the ideas that are inspired, but the words are inspired. And then some say, well, part of it's inspired, partial inspiration. And that's when people say, well, you know, we'll just take and pick what we want. You know, only parts of the Bible are inspired. And so that way, you know, if they don't like what the Bible says, then they can just do the other and feel good about it. And then some say, well, it's kind of a naturalistic inspiration. It's like any other good book, like the writing of poetry. Oh, it's kind of inspired by man. I want to say this to you. This is not the book of the month. This is the book of the ages, all right? Don't compare this when it comes to inspiration like any other book. So what that's what inspiration is not. What is inspiration? It is verbal and plenary. Now write those phrases down. They are theological words, but you need to know them. Plenary means that all of it is inspired. Plenary, all of it. Psalm 119, verse 160 says, the sum of your word is truth. The totality, all of it, all of your word is truth. It is inspired. And every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. So all of the Bible is inspired. And then the words are expired. And that is what we get the word verbal. Verbal. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, right after he said the Beatitudes, he said in Matthew 5, 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke that's where you get the phrase jot or tittle. And it's talking about parts of words, not even entire words, parts of letters, I should say. He said even the parts of the letters are inspired. <laughs> so it's all inspired. If the letters are inspired, the words are inspired. It's verbal inspiration. He said not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away the, the law until all is accomplished. All right, number three. You say, boy, we're moving fast. Oh, it bogs down after a while, so hang with me, Okay. What we believe about the Bible. I have people ask me, why are you a Southern Baptist? One of the reasons is because of what we believe about the Bible. This comes from the Baptist faith and message. It is not scripture, but it is scriptural. It was rooted in scripture. And I helped draft this. Dr. Rogers, who was here before me, was the chairman of that committee. We were taking the, origi the, uh, the original Baptist faith and message was the 1925 version. And then in 1963, they updated it. And I say updated it, they just uh, redid it. And then in, in 2000, we took the 1963 one and we made it very clear, especially on Scripture, what we believe about the Bible. And so I was on that committee, Dr. Rogers was the chairman. There were 15 of us total. He led us and he led us well. And uh, here's what we put. Now, this is not Scripture, but it is scriptural, and I want you to read it with me. This is one of the main reasons I'm in the Southern Baptist Convention because this is what we believe about the Bible. Read it with me, please, off this big screen. And if you can't read this, I don't know what to tell you, all right? Okay, here we go. The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. 
It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All Scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. Amen. Amen. That just tells me the Bible is the Word of God. That's what we believe about the Bible. Let me give you a few biblical facts about the Bible. Okay? Write these down. First fact I want to give you is this. The Bible is perfect. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is what? Say it out loud. Perfect. Again, Psalm 119, 160. I quoted this a moment ago. The sum, the totality, plenary inspiration. The sum of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. It's perfect. Can't add to it. That's why the Bible says in the Old and the New Testament, don't take away from it, don't add to it. It's fine the way it is. Just leave it alone. Obey it. And then secondly, it is trustworthy. You can trust the Bible. A lot of uh, things written out there, you can't trust it. But when you pick up the Bible, you can trust it. It's trustworthy. Psalm 19, verse 7, the testimony of the Lord is sure. That little word sure there means you can trust what it says. Psalm 93, verse 5, your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. It is correct. Does anybody remember incorrect and correct? <laughs> now it's just relative. Whatever you want is, is good. Your reality is what not eh, wrong. It's either right or it's wrong. It's either correct or it's incorrect, okay? For all people, not just for you. You don't get to make your own rules. Sorry, that's not the way life runs, okay? The Word of God sets the rules, okay? So it's it's correct. Psalm 19, verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right. That is, they're correct. Psalm 119, 128. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. If there's a true way, there's a false way. If there's a right way, there's a wrong way. And it is correct. And then it is clear. By that, I mean it is pure. But it is understandable, especially when the Holy Spirit comes to live in your life when you get saved. Psalm 19, verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure. That is, it is clear. Psalm 12, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. They are clear words. They're understandable words. As silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. And when it says refined seven times, refined perfectly. That's again goes back to the perfect nature of Scripture. It is clear. And it is true. I know I'm going fast, but there's a reason. We've got a lot of blanks, okay? And I'm trying to get to the last part especially. It is true. Psalm 19, verse 9, the judgments of the Lord are true. And then Jesus, the longest prayer we have of Jesus comes from John 17. He prayed it the night before he died on the cross for our sins. And he was praying to God for the followers that he had. And he said in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. And then he defined truth. Your word is true truth. Say that with me, please. Your word is truth. You read books nowadays. I'm reading a biography on George Washington right now. Now, I'll be honest with you. It's a great book, but it's not 
inspired by God. I mean, there's probably some things in there that are not true. But when I read the Bible, I don't have to worry about that. This book is true. And it's true because the author is sinless and true. He, he can't sin. We'll get to that momentarily. And so it is true. And then it is righteous. It is righteous. I'm not righteous. You're not righteous. But Jesus is righteous and the word of God is righteous. Psalm 19, verse 9, the judgments of the Lord are righteous altogether. Psalm 119, 138, the statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. I don't have any righteousness that can get me into heaven. The Bible says in Isaiah, my so-called righteousness is like filthy rags. But when Jesus saved me, he who knew no sin, Jesus, he who knew no sin, bore my sin in his body on the cross. Now listen, that I might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. When I got saved, the righteousness of God was given to me. I, I received Jesus' righteousness. And when I stand before God now, he sees me clothed in righteousness. One of these days, if you're a Christian, you're already clothed in righteousness. But one of these days when you see Jesus, he's going to give you the crown of righteousness. And then I believe you're going to take it off and put it right back at his feet and say, Worthy art thou, Lord, our God to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. But our righteousness is in Jesus Christ. And it's just fitting that even though Jesus, the living word, is righteousness, the written word, it says, is righteous as well. And then it is desirable. When you get saved, you will want to get into the word of God. And once you get in it, even if you are saved right now and you had not read it very much, you start getting the Word of God and you're just supernaturally drawn to it. It is desirable. Psalm 19, verse 10, they are more desirable than gold, talking about the precepts of the Lord, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey. How many of you like honey? Anybody like honey out there? I do. I love honey and I love to put it in my oatmeal. Mmm, that's good. And, uh, but the Bible says that it is sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Jeremiah, one of the greatest men in the Bible. Jesus quoted Jeremiah several times. Jeremiah, in fact, Jesus quoted Jeremiah all the time. But Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 17. He had no wife. He had no children. He, he was not a father on Father's Day, anything like that, you know, if they had Father's Day back then. He was just a man of God living in a time where hardly anybody was really living for the Lord. He was preaching to people that beat him up and would throw him in jail and they'd throw him in a, a cistern of mud to hope that he would die. And this guy was just, he was just, he was tough, man. He was just strong in the Lord. But something he said, I can't get it out of my mind. I memorized it years ago and he was praying to the Father in uh, Jeremiah 16, I think it's verse 11, and he said this, thy words were found and I did eat them and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Thy words were found and I did eat them. When's the last time you thought about the scripture that is so sweet, it's so wonderful, I just want to devour it. I just want to take it in. I want to feed on the desirable word of God. This is not true. Drudgery. This is not something that's hard to do. You get saved, man. You want to read the Bible. You want to read the Bible. It is, in, it is desirable. And it is inspired. It is breathed from the very breath of God. 
2 Timothy 3.16 is so good and so famous, I want us all to read it off the screen. Read it with me, please. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All right, let's take that word inspired and say God breathed. All right, we're going to read it now. And instead of saying inspired, we're going to say is God breathed. All right, here we go. All Scripture is God breathed by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. When you read the Bible, you're just reading what God breathed into, into words. How did God create the heavens and the earth? He spoke them. And that's what he did here. He spoke these words. He breathed the scriptures. What a beautiful picture. It's inspired. And then it is inerrant. There's no error in the Bible. I said, oh, sure there is. No, there's not. Well, I know there is. My professor told me, well, show me one. Well, I just know it's there. He wouldn't tell a lie. Oh, really? There are people all over our United States who have PhDs and philosophy and psychology and mathematics and biology, and they try to be experts on the Scripture. But they don't have any training in the Scripture. Now, if I went into their biology class and say, hey, I took 10th grade biology. Get out of the way. I'm going to teach your class. They'd throw me out of Memphis State. I'm sorry, University of Memphis. And rightfully so. I don't have a degree that qualifies me to teach on biology. And look, they don't have a PhD or anything else that qualifies them to teach on the technicalities of Scripture. And I want to say this to you. If you're not going to tell the truth about the Bible, don't say anything trying to ruin children's thoughts when it comes to the Bible and its historicity and its, its really being the Word of God. Amen. Amen belongs there right there. That's, that's one of the big things wrong with our country. They say it's, it's, it's full of error. It is not. It's not. When it speaks scientifically, it is correct. When it speaks historically, it's correct. Whatever it says, I'm telling you, it's correct. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken? Will he not make it good? Whenever God says something, it's right. Romans 3, 4. Let God be true, but every man a liar. I want to say this to you. Don't get mad at me, but everybody in this room, you've told a lie before, so you're a liar. Everybody in this room is a liar. You say, Brother Steve, I'm being so blessed. Thank you for this sermon. This is great. Well, we all are, but Jesus is not. God has never lied. Everybody has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. Everybody in this room is told, he says, all men are liars, but God is not. God is not a liar. All of us are sinners. And God is true, but every man is a liar. Aren't you glad, though, that God can save liars? Amen? He can forgive us of our sins and wash us and cleanse us. And then the Bible says in Titus 1-2, God cannot lie. Cannot lie. And then in Hebrews 6-18, it said it's impossible for God to lie. I think I've always looked at it this way. I heard a guy say one time, he said, if God tried to lie, he would choke on it. I mean, the lie would get just stuck in his throat. Amen? So God can't lie. God can't sin, so God can't lie. And then the Bible is infallible. It is incapable of error. That's what that means. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It is infallible. It's incapable of error. Now, I want to ask you something. How many of you, when you're putting 
something together, especially at Christmas time, you don't look at the instructions. Come on, raise your hand. Anybody out there? I got my hands up. All right. And it's frustrating because my wife reads all the instructions of anything she does. And so when I get about a fourth of the way into it, I've messed up, don't know what's going on, don't know what this part goes to this part or whatever. And she said, did you? She always said, did you? And she knows the answer. Don't you hate it when they ask questions they know the answer to? It's like they know the answer to all the questions. So, so I said, do you, did you read? I said, no, I didn't read the instructions. It's just a little toy. I mean, why can't I put together? She said, just read the instructions. And, and I want to say this to you. That's why you read the instructions here, because it's infallible. It is absolutely incapable of error, just like the instructions. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. All right, it is authoritative. It's authoritative. Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 1 and following, the Bible says, Then some of the Pharisees, scribes, came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Ah, the tradition of the elders. That's a big deal, right? Not to Jesus. For they don't wash their hands when they eat bread. Shame on them. Oh, they don't wash, they don't wash their hands in this specific ritualistic way. Oh, Jesus, why in the world are you letting them get away with that? That's our tradition, as the old uh, you know, movie said. Tradition, tradition. They were all about tradition. And so Jesus said, I don't care anything about your tradition. I care about the Word of God. And he answers and said to them, verse 3, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And then he gives an illustration that was really uh, powerful. He said, For God said, Honor your father and the mother. That's in the Ten Commandments. And he who puts, speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father and mother, Whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father and mother. By this, now listen, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. I just want to say this to you. The authority of Bellevue Baptist Church is not the Southern Baptist Convention. The authority of this church is not Steve Gaines or anybody else on the staff. The authority of this church is not our membership. The authority of this church is the Word of God. That is it. That is our authority. If you can't see it in the Bible, chunk it, all right? That's the Hebrew words for throw it away, okay? And the Bible is eternal. It is eternal. Bible's always going to be here. Don't worry about the Bible. Now, you may, we may, you know, one day in America, God forbid, we may out, it, they'll be outlawed maybe, but you know what? They're going to be all over the place underground. Amen. You're, you're going to find the Bible here. Uh, a lot of people will memorize Scripture. That's one of the main reasons we memorize Scripture is so that we'll always have the Word of God. No matter where we are, it will be in our heart. But it is eternal. Other books are not eternal, but the Word of God is. Isaiah 40, verse 8. Read it with me off the screen. Great verse. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. And if you look at the context, the grass and the flowers, that's people, people. Flowers are the prettiest ones among us, but even they fade. Even they fade, but not the Word of God. It stands, akum, Hebrew, it stands forever. And then it is the Bible is Christ-centered. The whole Bible points to Jesus. Jesus said 
in John 5, 39 and 40, you search the scriptures because you believe that they give you eternal life. You see, they worship a book, but we don't worship a book. We worship the one that the book points to, all right? You say, you search the scriptures because you think, you believe that they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, Jesus said, yet you refuse to come to me so that I can give you this eternal life. Let's think about it real quick. What's the Old Testament point to? The Messiah. It's all about the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Anointed One. So all 39 books of the Old Testament point to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He's coming. And now, what are the four Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What are they? They're about Jesus' life and ministry and his teaching. What then is the book of Acts? It's about his continued teaching through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're all preaching and teaching about Jesus. And what about now all these epistles, all these letters, the book of James, the book of Peter, the second, first and second Peter, Timothy, and all, all Paul's books, all that. What is that all about? They're crystallizing, and, and they are coming, and they're showing you all the theology that was given by Jesus and they're crystallizing that and putting it where we can apply it in the local church. And then what's Revelation about? It's about the coming of the Lord Jesus. So from Genesis to Revelation, the whole book is about Jesus Christ. It is a Christocentric book. It is Christ-centered. All right, very quickly, number five, the functions of the Bible. What does the Bible do? Number one, it leads people to salvation. Leads people to salvation. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, you, however, continue in the things, Paul said to Timothy, you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, now watch, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. How do I know how to get saved? I read the Bible. It tells me how to be saved. When I was in my first pastorate, I was about 26 years old when this happened. I started when I was 25 pastoring at that church in Lake Dallas, Texas. And uh, I can remember uh, getting a call. Our secretary was part-time at the church. She took the call and she said, this lady wants you to come, you and Donna to come. She says uh, she, she wants you all to talk to her. She uh, thinks she's become a Christian. She wants you to come talk to her. So we went to, her name was Gloria. And we went to Gloria, uh, Donna and I went with her, Donna went with me and we went, precious lady, she said, I'm Roman Catholic, I'd never read the Bible, and I'm not saying that Roman Catholics never read the Bible, I'm just saying, she said, I'm Roman Catholic, I've never read the Bible, I started reading the Bible, I read it a couple of times and I got saved. I think that's what you call it, she said. <laughs> I think I got saved, I, I got saved. I said, well, tell me about this. She said, well, I just started reading the Bible. And the more I saw it, I just, I just saw that I was a sinner. And, and, then, and she just like, it's like she just shared the gospel with me. And nobody had talked to her except the Bible. Don't tell me there's not power in the Word of God. She got saved. We baptized her. Her husband got saved. We baptized him. Her kids got saved. We baptized all of them. And to my knowledge, she's still in that church serving the Lord. I want to say this to you. The Bible is powerful unto salvation. And then also it helps us mature. It helps us to mature. Another way would be to say it, it helps us to be sanctified, more like Christ. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures inspired by God, and it's profitable. What? For what? Teaching, reproof, for correction, training in righteousness. Sometimes it will tell you the 
that you're, what you're doing is wrong. Sometimes it will tell you, hey, go this way. I'm teaching you. I'm training you in righteousness. I'm reproving you. I'm correcting you. All of that is the part of the sanctification that after you get saved, you become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what maturing is, becoming more like Jesus. And then not only is salvation and maturing, but also service. It prepares us for service. Once we start maturing, then we need to serve the Lord. And everybody ought to want to do that, like these people who are working in a ministry. They've driven all the way over from Oklahoma. But you don't have to do that. We, look, we've got ministry places for you to go serve. You can serve in Vacation Bible School, Camp Outrage. You can serve in a lot of different things all around Memphis. We've got Bellevue Loves Memphis. We've, we've got every kind of way you can imagine to serve the Lord right here. And if you're a Christian, the Word of God will prompt you to want to do that. It prepares us for service. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now watch this. So that the man of God or the woman of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. All right. Save the best for last. You ready? I want to tell you how to do it. What does it matter if I give say, oh, you need to be in the Bible? How, what does it matter if I don't tell you how to do it? So I'm going to tell you how to do it. If, you, if, if, if somebody is listening right now, or, or they're not listening right now, would you just look, in the name of Jesus, elbow them as good as you can right now, okay? I mean, now don't get in a fight, okay? But just wake them up and say, hey, tune in. Here we go. Understanding the Bible. How do you understand this thing? It's not complicated. Of course, you've got to be saved to understand it. But saying you're saved already, here we go. Number one, this is going to really be, I'm not kidding. Sometimes the most simple things are the most profound things. You need to read it. Need to read it. Kind of like those instructions. Did you read the instructions? No. no. Did you read the Bible? No. I read it when you preach on it, Brother Steve. Look at me. 168 hours in the week. I preach about 45 minutes. That's all the Bible you get? And you're online and you're watching television and you're going to movies. And I'm not saying, hello, I'm not, I'm not saying you never do that stuff. I'm just saying you probably spend 20, 30, 40 hours doing that and you wonder why you're not growing as a Christian. And you got to spend time in the Word. You got to read the Bible. Revelation 1.3 is talking about the book of Revelation, but I think also applies to the whole Bible Blessed is he who reads. Let's say that together. Blessed is he who reads. And those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. You're going to be blessed if you read the Bible. If you're a Christian, it's going to bless you. I read it slow. I read it out loud. I read it to feed my soul. I can't just get up here and feed you. I can't just write checks. I've got to make deposits, all right? And my deposits are when I read the Bible just for my soul to feed on the Word of God. And then you need to hear it. That's what you're doing right now. You can hear it on YouTube. There are great Bible teachers out there. You got to be careful. Some of them not so great either. But uh, you need to hear the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. Hear godly men teach the Bible. And if you look, if you go to a church and nobody opens a Bible, nobody, get out of there. Get out of there. You say, oh, my family's already gone. You know what? Get your family out of there. I mean, 
Tell them all, let's get out of here. They're not preaching the Bible. They're not talking about Jesus. Let's hit the road and go find us a Bible church. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'll amen for you. That's fine. Great. Study it. The best way to start this is just go buy you a good study Bible. Ryrie study Bible. There's, we have great study Bibles over in the bookstore. And just go over there and get you one of those. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as workmen. Studying the Bible can be work. Who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the, the word of the truth. I remember when I first started living for Jesus, man, I couldn't get enough Bible. I, I was just reading my Bible, and then I started reading books about the Bible, and then I started reading commentaries about Scripture and the text and all this stuff. And then I said, you know what? This is what I want to do the rest of my life. I just want to preach this stuff, and I want to spend time in the Word, and I want to get in the Word and study. And it was just, I, the more I did it, I was, it was just like I couldn't get enough. And I, I want to say this to you. Do you study the Bible? Do you study the Bible? You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a PhD to understand the Bible. I had a guy tell me one time, Rel Gamblin, Rel Gamblin, one of my deacons in Lake Dallas. He was a mechanic at one of the airlines there, Southwest Airlines. He started with them when they opened up Southwest Airlines in Dallas. And Rel came up to me one day and said, Preacher, he said, I, I can't understand this Bible. I can't read Hebrew or Greek. I said, Rel Gamblin, you can't read the Bible in Hebrew and Greek, but you can read it in Holy Ghost. <laughs> you can read it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe the Holy Spirit will take the English language and make it open to you and feed your soul if you will spend time in it. I believe that with all my heart. Don't, don't, don't say that you can't study it. Yes, you can. Memorize it. Oh, I can't do that. I can't remember anything. Don't say that kind of stuff. Sure you can. Sure you can. Memorize the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I started reading the Bible, and I started memorizing the Bible right after I started reading the Bible, way back when I was 18. 45 years ago, I'll do the math. 63 is what I am right now. Proud of it, all right? But I started memorizing Scripture back then. I haven't memorized Scripture every week since then, but I'm still memorizing Scripture. I I went to a funeral yesterday, went up to see my mom and dad's grave yesterday, came back, and I took my scripture memory cards with me, and that's when I, I just memorized the scripture. I, when I get on the uh, elliptical machine, you know, and I'm sweating and everything, uh, a lot of my scripture cards are soaking wet when I get through with them, but uh, I, I memorize scripture when I'm, I'm working out. So why do I do that? Why do that? I want to hide God's word in my heart because I don't want to sin against the Lord. I want God's word to be in my heart so that it's not just something I read once in a while, that I'm really taking it in and going over it and over it again. And you say, I can't do it. Stop that. Stop it. Look, I'll tell you what I got. You can go get this. There's a scripture memory book called, it's a little organized card, 60 cards. 60 cards, yes, yeah, 60 cards. It's called the Navigator's Topical Memory System. They're in our bookstore. If you, they don't have it, you can order it. I'm telling you, it tells you, if you read the little book, it tells you what to do, tells you how many times to, remember, to review it, tells you how to write it out and all that stuff. I'm just telling you, you can do this and you will be blessed if you'll memorize the word. Then meditate on it. Once you memorize it, you can meditate on it and just go over it and over it again, over it and over it again. Look at uh, Joshua 1.8 on the screen, one of the greatest verses in the Bible about the Bible. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. That's a Hebrew way of saying it will always be in your mouth. It will never depart from being in your mouth is what he's saying. But you shall meditate on it when? Day and night so that you'll 
you may be careful to do exceeding according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Meditating on it is just taking a verse. And one of the reasons I like to memorize is because I meditate. I go on over and over and over and over again, okay? Kind of like a young child with a lollipop. They stay on that thing until it is gone, amen? So that's what you need to do, meditate on it. And then pray it, pray it. I've gotten where I can't even pray without praying scripture. When I pray the word of God, I pray the will of God. When I pray the will of God, I, I'm going to get answers to my prayers. And so, John 15, 7, Jesus said, if you abide in me, and what? My word abides where? In you, then pray. Ask whatever you wish, that the word of God's abiding in you. Now ask, pray the word, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. When you pray the word of God, you get the will of God. And then obey it. You can't just talk about it, you got to do it, Okay. James 1.22 says this, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. That's the New Living Translation. And then share it. Ah, we finished every blank. If you don't have one, that's on you. I did all of them, okay? Share it. Ezra 7.10. This is one of my favorite verses because it's the first verse Don and I memorized this in August of 1980, 41 years ago, uh, in two months, three months, whatever it is. And uh, we, we memorized it out of the King James. This is the New American Standard. Read it with me, please. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now, what is that talking about? It's talking about sharing it with other people. I went to a funeral yesterday in Arkansas and uh, I went to the wrong place. There were two funeral homes in two towns that were 10 miles apart. Mark Tree was one and something else in Arkansas. I don't remember the name of it. And so they were, but the, the funeral home had the, both had the same name. And so I put in my phone and I went to the wrong one. And it was providential. He said, how do you know? Because while I was there, I went to the gas station and the Lord, just as clear as a bell, said, I want you to share the gospel with that girl behind the counter and those two older men outside. And I said, okay. So I went back to the car. I carry gospel tracts with me everywhere I go. And I got three gospel tracts out. Now there's people coming and going and all this. So you can't, you know, just stop. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. You can't do that, Okay. So if you did that, they'd say, get out of here. So uh, the girl's name was Angelica. So I knew that God wanted me to talk to her. Amen. So I talked to her and uh, said, do you know the Lord? Have you ever been saved? She said, well, I'm still working on that. And so this is a little book that I wrote, a little gospel tract. Would you, would you read this? She said, sure, I'll read it today. And I gave it to her and talked to her about the Lord. Then I go out there and these guys are, you know, they're, they're, I'm telling you, they were older, Okay. Uh, they, they were, clo they're close to eternity. All right. I don't know how else to say it. And so, you know, and they look like they got one foot on the grave and one foot on a banana peel. But anyway, I, I'm just sitting there, you know, looking at them and I say, man, if you guys don't know the Lord, you need to get him real quick. Okay. So, so I share the gospel with them. And this one goes, yes, I know Jesus. I said, bingo. That guy knows the Lord. The other guy kind of faltered a little bit. And I said, sir, do you know the Lord? He said, well, I went to church years ago. 
And so I just shared a little bit of my testimony, shared with him, gave him a gospel track. I'll probably never see those guys again. And by the way, that's why I went to the wrong funeral home at first, all right? How many of you know that God, a lot of times we think it's a mistake when it's providential, amen? God's all over it. And I'm not saying that to try to put myself on a pedestal. Well, what does it matter if I get up here and preach to all of you and I won't share the gospel with a little girl at a convenience store and pray that she'll be saved and want her to be saved? You say, where, where, do, you, where do you get that? Where, where do you get that desire to share the word from the word? Jeremiah said, Lord, sometimes I just don't want to speak the word. Don't act like you don't know what he's talking about. He said, but when I shut down your word within me is burning. It's burning. It's like a fire in my bones and I can't stop talking about it. I want to say this to a real Christian. When you love somebody, you talk about them. And when you love Jesus, you'll talk about them in a good way. And you'll share the word of God. One of my favorite little poems about the Bible is this. I got it from W.A. Criswell. He got it from somebody else. Who knows where it came from? Really doesn't matter. Very short. Please listen to it. It's called My Precious Bible. My Precious Bible. Though the cover is worn and some pages are torn, though places bear traces of tears, yet more precious than gold is this book, worn and old that can shatter and scatter all my fears. When I prayerfully look in this precious old book, many pleasures and treasures I see, many tokens of love from my Father above, who is nearest and dearest to me, This old book has been my guide. It's been a friend by my side. It has lightened and it has brightened my way. And each promise that I find, it smooths and gladdens my mind. So I read it and try to heed it every day. Turn off the TV for a while. Put down the book of the month. Get off of social media. And take a Bible bath today. Let's go home and take a Bible bath. How do I do that? Well, first you got to open it up. Instructions. 
Just go to the Gospel of Matthew if you don't know where to start. And just start reading. Read it out loud. Read it slow. If you don't understand it, read it again. If you don't understand it at all, put a little check about it. Talk to somebody that knows about the Bible and say, what does that mean? And just read it. Read it from left to right. Unless you're Hebrew, read it from right to left. Just read it. Spend time in it. Meditate on it. And you'll have that burning in your soul that you can't hold it in. You've got to tell other people about it. May God bless every man. I know it's Father's Day, but can I go ahead and say, and every woman. May we all live in our Bibles. Let's thank God for the Word of God. Can we do that? Amen. <clears throat>